Sean and Ed's Do Baseball. This is our seventh episode of our Baseball History Podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's. And uh, for the next half hour or so, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, we're going to be doing some baseball. We go Uh, back and forth telling each other stories from baseball history. That's right. And the other one sometimes jumps in and says stuff or is just amazed and just sits back and listens. So so. if you're interested in baseball history, uh, we got a banger of one today. Yeah, this is the place to be. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Sean, without further ado, I guess I've got nothing to plug. So, yeah, yeah, we got nothing. Follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball. Uh, you can also follow us if you're a fan of the Blue Jays at Bird Baby Birds. Uh, you can follow this guy at the Ed Seventeen. Yeah, at the Ed Seventeen. But you don't need to follow me unless you're a wrestling fan. So that's, yeah, that's yes. okay. Uh, that's a whole other. That's a whole can, another can of worms. Holy so. shit! Uh, speaking of cans of worms, I want to I want to pre preface this with uh you know so there is some some terrible language that uh i found throughout my research of this story uh just uh normally we don't do this but uh basically what we're gonna we're we're gonna hear about the last team to integrate in the major leagues and uh i just want to say there's some there's some racism well, the story's about racism, but there's specifically a couple quotes here uh, that, that use some pretty shitty language, but I thought needed to be said uh, just so the context of the history and how outwardly blatant and racist uh, things were said. Okay. With no further ado, Thomas Austin was born February 21st, 1903 in Detroit, which is interesting because the last story we did also, the person was born in 1903. Yes. Uh so same time, uh, this is a very different uh, lifestyle. He was the grandson of a lumber and iron magnate, William Kleiman Yaki, who agreed in principle to buy the Detroit Tigers in 1903, but died before the deal was closed. The deal eventually was completed by Tom's uncle, Bill Yaki. Uh, after his father died, Tom's uncle adopted him and he took Yaki's last name. I think I'm saying this right. Uh, Yaki. I think that's right. W-K-E-Y. Tom Yaki of Tom Yaki Way in Boston. Okay, yeah, we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, yeah, so he is now going Sorry by... Sorry for jumping ahead. He's, yeah, that's fine. Uh, he's going by Tom Yaki now instead of Tom Austin, but his friends refer to him as T.A. I don't know why I'm saying that, because it doesn't come up the list of okay. But his friends call him T.A. He's T.A. Uh, so T.A. Uh, Tom Yaki was a rich boy who lived a rich boy's life, beginning to end, basically. His adoptive father, William, who is now owner of the Detroit Tigers, was one of the wealthiest people in the country. Uh, Tom followed the prescribed rich boy path, attending boarding school, and he went to Yale. And by all accounts, sounds like he had a pretty good time being rich and educated. So, uh, yeah, that's that's it. Uh Bill Yaki died in 1919 and left him $40 million. In 1919? Yeah, well, he left the estate of $40 million. I found some other stuff that it was more like he got like $10 million, but remember, this guy owned the fucking tigers and stuff, so he had a lot of uh, yeah, either way, assets. Either way, 
Good God, at yes. that time. Yeah, and, and he's only 16 years old is uh, Tom Tom Yaki. Nice. Yeah, exactly. But there was a clause in the that would forbade him from taking possession of the estate until he was 30 years old. 30? That's I mean, fair, I guess. I, I'm 30 years old myself. I remember my dad saying when I was younger, like, you know, if I won the lottery, like, yeah, you'd get some money, but I wouldn't give it to you till you were at least, like, 25. And at the time, you're like, fuck you, I'm, like, 16. In this I'll hypothetical be an adult two years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this hypothetical situation. <laughs> yeah. this, I, this hypothetical situation is bullshit. Yeah, fuck you, dad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he's not going to get it until he's 30 years old. But he's... Uh, educated going to Yale he's a businessman himself uh, in uh, 1925 he married Elise Sparrow uh, with the couple adopting a daughter named Julia uh, in 1936 I guess that it doesn't really say much but he, they got married in 1925 and they didn't adopt until 1936 so I assume there's probably some uh, complications maybe. Yeah, yeah so who knows well on February 25th 1933 Four days after his 30th birthday, so he just got a whole shit ton of money. He's getting paid. He's getting paid. Uh, he bought the Red Boston Red Sox for $1.25 million. Uh, the local news reports called him a kid. So it was like, a kid bought the Red Sox. A child. A child. A 30-year-old child has bought the Red Sox. <laughs> uh, In 1994, they're going to make a movie about this. <laughs> Hey. Little Big League. Oh, okay, yeah. Wow. I was like, what? There's a movie about this guy and I didn't watch it? <laughs> it's like one of your favorite movies. Yeah, okay, but it's not about Tom Yaki. Anyways, uh, your animals are fucking just uh, They're everywhere. just everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so he persuaded his friend and former Philadelphia athletic second baseman, who we heard about in an earlier podcast, kind of, uh, Eddie Collins, to be the team's vice president and general manager. Yaki's friend, okay, I already said this, they often addressed him as T.A. Now the president and owner of the organization, he was fond of taking batting practice at Fenway Park, because who the fuck would <laughs> So Yaki's just like, I own the team now, I'm taking BP too. Yeah, it sounded like this guy just like loved baseball, and it was just like, as soon as I get that money, I'm buying myself a baseball team, like whatever, like I, he... So at the moment, he's kind of likable. Mm -hmm. I'm just waiting for the turn. Oh, <laughs> you'll see. Okay. Uh, he was he was exalted whenever he'd hit the ball off the green monster in left field. He was like, Did you see that? <laughs> he was a gloater. Yeah, and hit a wall 250 feet away, and he was super pumped. I mean, I, I would be too, but he wouldn't be a dick about it. It didn't sound like he was a dick. It just everybody was like, yeah, good work, sir. Uh, nice one, T.A. The Red Sox had been terrible since the sale of Babe Ruth. Uh, in the nineteen twenty season, having won no more than seventy five games since, and regularly failing to even win sixty games, so they were garbage. They were hot. No wonder they were sold. They finished dead last uh, eight times in the thirteen seasons between trading Ruth and Yaki buying the team. So they were like, what year did he buy the team? Thirty in nineteen thirty. 33, 33, 33. Sorry. Okay. So yeah, Babe Ruth was sold in before the 1920 season. Yeah. And then, so they were awful. So Yaki hired Collins as general manager with instructions to buy up as many as much talent as possible and to turn the team over. And over the next few years, 
would sign Hall of Famer Joe Cronin, Jimmy Fox, Rick Farrell, Lefty Grove, and Heine Manouche. I didn't even, like, how didn't I read this name? <laughs> That's a good name. Yeah, what is that? Heine, H-E-I-N-E. Yeah, Heine Manouche. Heine Manouche. That's a fucking, we're going to look that guy up. Also heavily renovated Fenway Park which had fallen into despair over the years. So the team was bad, ownership was bad, and this guy took it over and was like, I'm going to turn it around. Mm -hmm. I got all the money in the world. Uh, Under Yaki's ownership, the team slowly got better and better, putting together their first season above 500 since they won the World Series in 1918 in 1937 Uh, and finished second in 1938. Unfortunately for the Red Sox, the Yankees and the Tigers dominated the AL throughout the 30s and early 40s. Mm So Boston would have to wait until 1946 to win a pennant. They finished second multiple times uh, and had a competitive team almost every year between 1937 and 1946. Some men like to spend their dough on fast horses and other things that go fast, Yaki told writer Dan Daniel, which is also just the Dan best. Daniel. So his name is Daniel Daniel. Dan Daniels. It's not even Daniels. It's just Dan Daniel. That's amazing. So, well, in theory, his name probably on his like birth certificate or whatever, it's not just Dan. Yeah. So it's Daniel Daniel. I knew I a guess. guy named Colin Collins. That's an amazing. Also, like, yeah. why would you do that? I didn't he, like. No, I worked with a guy one summer. All right. But anyway, he fucking. So he likes to. Some people like to spend their dough on horses and things that go fast. He told Dan Daniel in 1937. Some men like to go in for polo, for example, and spend thousands of dollars on ponies. Some go nuts for paintings. Others give half a million for a hunk of canvas in a fancy frame. But my passion is baseball. My idea of heaven is pennant is a pennant winner. Boston would go nuts over a winner, and maybe someday we'll get all the dough back. But in the meantime, don't let anybody tell you Tom Yaki is a sucker. It's just basically just a rich person being like, look here, everybody. I'm, an I'm not just a rich good. person, yeah. <laughs> but I'm a baseball crazy rich person. <laughs> but he does have a point that Boston would absolutely have loved a winning team back then. And they still, to this day, the fan base is yeah, still pretty Yeah, well, rad. I mean, it's... It's an ad. This part about him is like an admirable sentiment that we, I think, a lot of us wish that owners would have today. But that's like a whole another debate for probably the other podcast. But. Yeah. Well, we're uh, we're we're starting to go down a, a pretty dark hole. So let's just finish. He up hasn't with, turned yet. Let's do, well, he's always been the way he is. But let's just finish off the 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 good stuff for the for the most part. Yaki transferred his attention to the minor leagues in the late 1930s when the Red Sox purchased future all-star prospects Bobby Doerr, Ted Williams, and Dom DiMaggio from the Pacific Coast League. In 1942, Yaki's homegrown Red Sox recorded 93 wins, setting the franchise's best mark since 1915. But with player Ted Williams and other players leaving for World War II, it would have to wait. The Red Sox were mediocre without him and didn't finish above 500 from 1943 to 1945. Away from the field, Yaki's marriage to Elise was not going well. With different interests and Yaki spending so much time running the Red Sox, Yaki and his wife 
Elise would drift apart and divorce in November 1944. Here's the funny part. Both remarried within a few weeks of the divorce. Weeks? Yes! Weeks! I've always, like, thought it was, like, weird when, like, there's those couples that divorce and then get married again to the same couples, but, like, weeks apart, that's... Yeah, so they were pretty checked out and probably had their, uh... Well, Yaki definitely had his eyes on somebody else, so department store model Jean R. Hiller, uh... Uh, he he married her weeks after the divorce. She was like a a, a catalog model at the time, basically like a, one of the first like you know, I don't know I don't know if supermodel is the correct word, but but she was fancied by many. And uh, okay, so wait, so he was married to Elise in 1944 in November. They divorced. Yes, and by like the New Year, she was married to somebody, and he married this model. Oh, so he didn't remarry his... No, oh. yeah, no, no, you thought they got I married. I thought they married each other no. again. Oh, no, okay. no, no, he went and banged some Because you said they were remarried. Oh, I didn't okay, think you, okay, I yeah, that, you meant... that's my bad. Yeah, yeah. no, they, they were remarried to other to people. To other people, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I see now. So they had adopted daughter, obviously, so they... I think she went with the bomb and Tom and Jean Yaki had no children together. So he's like in his like early forties at this point, And she was like in her twenties, maybe I don't mm-hmm. even know. She could have been younger. Uh, when Williams returned, Ted Williams returned home from the war, the Red Sox delivered Yaki his long desired pennant in 1946. They won the pennant by 12 games, but ended up losing to the St. Louis Cardinals in a hard fought seven game World Series, which. Shucks. They were even like tied going into the. I think they tied it up in the eighth, and then the Cardinals won it in the ninth. Like, oh, it was. It was Heartbreaker. It was one of those game sevens. Like, you just look at the box score and you're like, oh. It's no wonder there was like so much lore around the curse of the Bambino, because like it seems. Yeah. They seem to lose in clo- in game sevens a lot. Yeah. So Yaki had devoted his time and finances to attempt to build a World Series team, which he did, but not a winner. Unfortunately for him, it would never happen. The Boston Globe, citing Yaki, Yaki's estimation in 1974 that he had lost $10 during his tenure as owner. So that whole, like, well, one day I'll maybe get it back, but who knows? I like spending money. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He did not end up getting it back ever. Um, As much as he tried to give Boston a winning team, his own prejudice got in the way. This is where shit gets bad. Okay. Yaki was racist. Like, a big racist. Not even, not, and I don't mean this, like, in the sense of he was walking around saying racist things or even treating people badly. He just was a rich white guy that thought he was better and that white people were better. He was just completely ingrained with white supremacy. Yeah, it's, it doesn't, so... His racist beliefs were are unavoidable in his resistance to employing black players. So around this time, obviously, we were talking about 1946. So Jackie Robinson joins the Brooklyn, uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1949, I believe it was. 47, I think. Yeah, he, he, in the late 40s, the MLB starts integrating. Uh, in the late 1800s, baseball's gentleman agreement, an unridden but ironclad ban against a- players of African-American origin, was initiated. Segregation in both leagues 
was instilled, though never written into the rules fully. Uh, so they, they just had like, yeah, they called it the gentleman's yeah. agreement until branch Ricky and the Brooklyn Ricky and the Brooklyn Dodgers signed Jackie Robinson in the fall of 1945. See, if I just kept reading, I wouldn't have <laughs> placed him in the minor leagues in Montreal in 1946 and brought him up to the majors on April 15th, 1947. However, the ban was not rescinded by either leagues. There was nothing to rescind, since the owners had never had the courage to formally put their racist convictions in writing. Uh, And the wall fell slowly, team by team, but it didn't happen all at once. One by one, teams added black players to their roster. The Yankees gave in to public pressure finally in 1955, so about eight years after. Mm -hmm. The Phillies in 1957, so these are the last teams, and the Tigers in 1958, which is also a connection to the story. Yeah. So every team at this point has a black player on it, except for Boston. The team first signed an African-American player, Piper Davis, in 1950, though he was 31. They lied and said he was younger, as so to pretend they were actually cultivating prospects. So they were like, yeah, we got, we th- got maybe this guy will make the team one day. But they're just, they just knew they that just they just signed was- him just... Yeah. Just to save face, essentially. Yeah. They sent him to the Eastern League to keep him out of the South. Their teams in the High Miners were in Birmingham and Louisville at the time. He hit 333, slugged 550 in 15 games before they released him for economic reasons. So it was just a, a, a PR stunt, essentially. Yeah, that's true. The Red Sox had multiple black players in their farm system throughout the 1950s after the, the first the first guy, uh, Piper Davis, with the team failing to promote them uh, despite their successes, other teams realized after, it, despite the successes other teams realized by having black players. So there's, at this point, like, you're into the mid-50s and, like, there's great players. Yeah. Minnie Minoso and, and Jackie Robinson and all those guys. At this point, they're all stars. Uh, the Reds, during this period, the Red Sox went from a pennant contender to failing to finish within 10 games of first place for 16 years. As owner of the Boston Red Sox, the team policy on integration was ultimately up to Yaki's responsibility. So but he wanted to put the best team yeah, on the field, apparently. He, yeah, but he's refusing to do it, and teams are surpassing them in droves because they're adding talent from the Negro Leagues and just black players in general, they're signing them when they're young and bringing them up through the ranks like you would do with any player because they're all human beings. So, Yaki not only resisted the tides of change, but he also hired racists, including manager Mike Pinky Higgins, who was promoted to manager in 1955. Red Sox historians often single out Higgins along with Yaki when the discussion when they discussed the root of the club's reputation for resisting racial integration. Higgins, who had grown up in Texas, once told Boston Beat reporter Al Hirschberg, there'll be no n- on my on the club as long as I have anything to say about it. He oh also... Yeah, he, he's talking to a reporter. He was like, saying this outright to the press? Yeah. No, he's, he's like at... Like, he's... Yaki was a, like, gentleman racist. This guy was, like... Hard drinking boozer, fucking. I hate black people. Like it's, I hate them. 
And uh, Jesus, yeah, fuck, yeah. So, oh god, he also reportedly called sports writer Cliff Keen a fucking <laughs> lover after hearing Keen praise <sighs> the talents of White Sox outfielder Minnie Minoso. Oh man, yeah, no. So that was, that was the part I was like, uh, I, I just it's it's awful. It's and, but he's saying this to people. He's not hiding it. They're not, this is. You know, yeah, 1955, no, like so... almost every team at this point had integrated players. And yeah. this guy is still walking around, not only with, like, he's telling people, like, go fuck yourself. Like, I'm racist, and that's not happening. Yeah. Uh, and on top of it, he wouldn't even hear the praise of, uh, like, many, like, oh, it's, anyways. On top of that, there are no African Americans selling hot dogs or beer at Fenway Park until 1959, apparently. So they weren't even hiring, you know, people to be, yeah. According to Howard Bryant's book, Shut Out, about the history of the Red Sox racial controversies, the organization didn't hire the first black usher until 1974. Holy fuck, man. Uh, yeah. So this is like, it's like you, you hear all this stuff and you're like, oh, he sounds like a good owner, but like underneath, it's just like, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, uh, okay. So every team was integrated in 1958. Uh, after no players of color broke with camp in 1959, with the Red Sox were understandably not given the benefit of the doubt. There were calls for an investigation into the team into the team as a bastion of Jim Crowism or heard. Wait, sorry. There were calls for investigation into the team as a bastion of Joe Jim Crowism were heard. Okay, yeah, I guess I did read that sentence mm-hmm. right. So basically they're just saying that the team is clearly racist yeah. and this yeah. is the reason why. I'm trying to keep yeah. black players from <laughs> the wildest part of the whole situation was it didn't have to be like this. They could have been the first team to break the color barrier instead. On J- April 16th, 1945, Yaki gave into political pressure and held a closed tryout for Jackie Robinson, outfielder Sam Jethro, and pitcher Marvin Williams at Fenway. The players performed well, but never heard notice. back from the Red Sox. So they had a chance to... Like, they could have. They could have. Okay, and there's also... Okay, so there's also... I don't want to say I didn't get good enough source to put this in, but there it, the story goes that not only were these guys like given kind of a fake tryout, but even some of the management that were watching them in the stands would yell out racist epitaphs at them while they were trying to show off their baseball skills. And it's it's unclear whether it was Yaki himself or 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 just some other. So that, somebody that's I, I I didn't want to put it the like it for sure happened, but it sounds like there's some you know it's pretty clear that it's a pretty racist organization. At yeah, this point l- listening to the to the rest of the story, it doesn't seem like it's out of the question. Yeah, so the players perform well, but never heard from the Red Sox again. Some say the tryout was a farce, chiefly designed to assuage. Uh, the the desegregationist uh, sensibilities of Boston City Councilman Isidore H. Y. Munchnik, who threatened to revoke the team's exemption from Sunday blue laws, basically like Jesus laws, like mm, mm-hmm. you can't drink or be open on a Sunday. Yeah. Uh, Yaki also had a chance to sign Willie Mays in 1949 and passed. Some people point out and like to say that Boston generally was pretty racist place at the time 
but the Boston Braves had brought up a black player in 1950, nine years earlier, uh, with little objection from fans. And in fact, Sam Jethro, who Yaki had given the fake tryout to, signed with the Boston Braves and was National League Rookie of the Year in 1950. So, So, Boston's cool with it. This but, guy's not. But Tom Yaki's not. And the T-A. pinky T-A. T-A. Yeah. Uh, not only were the Sox the last big league baseball Maybe team. Maybe T-A stands for total asshole. <laughs> <laughs> not only were they the last baseball team to integrate, they even finished behind the Boston Bruins, who had Willie O'Ree making his NHL debut. The Bruins played baseball? No, the Bruins had a black hockey player before the Red Sox had a black baseball player. So Willie O'Ree played for Boston in 1958. Yeah. So, anyways, so that's that's where we're at. So it's 1959. They're not, still not budging on bringing players. Yeah. Elijah Jerry Green was born October 27th, 1933, in Boley, Oklahoma. Green was named Elijah after his father, but his mom called him Pumpsy from an early age. Pumpsy? Yeah, I don't, there's no real, it just, she called him Pumpsy. Okay. Yeah. Green grew up... weird nicknames back then. (laughs) Okay, so Pumpsy Green. Pumpsy Green. uh, Green grew up in Richmond, California, was a three-sport athlete. He offered a baseball. He was offered a baseball scholarship to Fresno State University, but turned it down to attend Contra Costa College when the coach there, who he knew, uh, promised him he could play shortstop. In Green's final year in college, he tried out for the Oakland Oaks of the Pacific Coast League, and was signed to a contract. Green played for a few of the Oaks affiliates before his contract was purchased by the Red Sox. Excuse me, in 1955. In 1959, after bouncing around in the minors for the Red Sox, he was invited to Red Sox spring training camp. He was clearly a viable player after a strong showing in Panama in the offseason. He had a hot spring training at the bat, but his defense was a little bit shaky in the Cactus League. Though no wonder it was because the fucking organization were assholes. The Red Sox booked themselves into at a whites-only spring training hotel in Scottsdale and placed him in Phoenix. So if you don't know, that's like playing in Toronto and being like, you're going to go live in Scarborough. Like, Well, the rest of us are right next to the field. Well, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so wh- giving him a leg up right off. Oh, it gets worse. When oh, the Red fine. Sox and Cubs barnstormed through Texas uh, to do, like, spring training, you know, stuff, yeah. Green had to travel with the Cubs because his own club had once again failed to find accommodations that would accept the player. What? So, like, why wouldn't he just be like, hey, can I play with you guys? <laughs> like, well, you have to also remember the time the owners, like, owned them, you well, know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's fucked up that they, like, not only have this guy at spring training, but that they, they failed to uh, understand that they have this guy at spring training. It's yeah. like, do you want to pretend like you're considering him for the team, or do you want to just be asshole and clearly they were just assholes uh Pumsey would not make the team ta uh he even defended the club's decision saying he didn't play well in the field so he like <laughs> he he's, it sounds like a very patient person 
Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. On April 7th, 1959, during spring training, Yaki and general manager Buck Harris were named in a lawsuit charging them with discrimination and deliberate barring of black players from the Red Sox. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I don't object to those accusations. The NAACP issued charges of following an anti-Negro policy and the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination announced a public hearing on racial bias against the Red Sox. So, shit's happening now, and there it's like this is after spring trading. Uh, so they were basically this. This was it. They they were forced to integrate. They couldn't stand the public pressure anymore. Yeah. So a couple months later, on July twenty first, nineteen fifty nine, Pumpsy Green came into the game as a pinch runner in the eighth inning. The Red Sox became the last major league team to field a black pay- player. Twelve years after Robinson's, twelve years after Jackie Robinson's season, rookie season with the Brooklyn Dodgers, and two and a half years after Robinson's retirement. I was gonna say, I, like Robinson didn't have a, a an especially long career. Yeah, so this he is was done by then. Yeah, he's so the first black player has come and gone, and they mm-hmm. still this is the and not only that they bring him in as a pinch runner in the eighth too. Yeah. Like, that's, it's, yeah. So they, they clearly has, still have disdain. Uh, Higgins, the racist manager, was kicked up to the front office at the beginning of July. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, I know. Green was promoted, reportedly over Higgins' objection, a few weeks later. So, yeah, was, so he came in July. <laughs> like, so this guy, this, this manager still was fighting. Like, that's, that's, I... He'd been he was so he wasn't even the manager anymore. Well, they were like, "Well, this is happening." And he was like, "Well, I'm not doing it." And they're like, "Fine, you're gonna be in the front office now instead of the manager, at least for a few weeks, as you'll hear." <laughs> okay. <laughs> Higgins later Sounds returned bad. to the dugout without incident. Oh god. Yeah. But so who said without incident? Who says? Yeah, ex- exactly. Who says without incident? Yeah, obviously. Okay, but Earl Wilson, the second black player to play for the Red Sox, said the manager's disdain was palpable. So, without incident, he was just a whiny, racist old shithead. Okay. So, if that's not an incident, then without incident. Son of a bitch. Uh, Green was just a run-of-the-mill middle infielder. A switch hitter with patience, but not much pop. In a five-year career, he hit 246 with a 347 on base percentage. Not very much slugging. Only had a, like a dozen home runs in his career. He played for the Red Sox and later the Mets. He got traded sometime in the early 60s to the Mets. Uh, Yagi was still around and running the team into his older years. Unsurprisingly, the team got better after integrating players. Go figure. Oh, I wonder why. Yeah. Eventually winning the 1967 Miracle Pennant, helped by black players like Reggie Smith, George Scott, Jim Rice, and Luis Tiant. They would go on to lose again in seven games to the St. Louis Cardinals. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So they, but they're, yeah, they're becoming a better team. Another thing at this time, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know if I had time to look into it too, but once the, the, the free agency kicked in in the early 70s and stuff like 
I wasn't able to verify it, but it sounds like Boston like did not sign free agent black players for a very long time, even into the eighties. So it's uh, well, it's, it's as long as Ta Yaki is in charge. I'm not. I'm not surprised. Yeah. So uh, Jackie Robinson would call Yaki one of the most bigoted guys in baseball. If Yaki has seen the light. It's only because the fans want a winner and couldn't care less about what color the player's skin is, Jackie Robinson said in 1967. So he's like, fuck you. You only like you mm-hmm. caved into the pressure. It's not because you really wanted to. You're yeah. still a racist prick. Yeah. Uh, even with Yaki's prejudice, he was a popular figure in Boston and a respected voice on major league councils, as evidenced by... His fellow American League owners naming him vice president between 1956 and 1973. So he's <laughs> like, Jesus. Like, that just goes to show he's you. He's not just like an owner. He's like vice he's president, vice of, president of, of the, the American owners. League. Uh, though fellow owners he's regarded him as wheel. a strange fish. The words of one contu- contemporary. Yaki is a, ch- a strange yeah, fish? Yeah, he's a strange fish. No, get this. Because of his willingness to spend lavishly on salaries and perks for star players at the expense of profits. So as we know, he he, sp- he was willing Yeah, he to lost s- 10 million bucks. Yeah, which is a lot. But he, he, like Ted Williams got, like Ted Williams was able to like go to his private island and, and you know, if mm-hmm. he liked you as a player. I never heard anything about <laughs> giving the black players this perks, but especially like when he was very enthusiastic and involved in the thirties, forties and fifties, he was, you know, he would pay people decent salaries if you were good, which yeah. was weird at the time considering labor rights. Uh, his team's best seasons took place in 1946, 1967 and 1975 when the Red Sox captured the American league pennant, but went on to lose the world series again In seven seven games, games. this time to the Cincinnati Reds, not the Cardinals. He would never achieve his ultimate goal of winning a world championship. Another controversy involved long... Oh, God, I forgot about this. Jesus. It's just brief. Another another controversy involved longtime clubhouse manager or clubhouse attendant Don Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick was accused of sexual abuse of minors between 1971 and 1991 while working in the Red Sox spring training clubhouse in Winter Haven, uh, in Winter Haven, Florida. The abuse was reported to the team by victims and players who witnessed the abuse, but Fitzpatrick remained employed. Yaki and later his wife, Jean, after Tom's death, protected Fitzpatrick from allegations According to two sources with knowledge of their relation, uh, according to two sources with knowledge of their relationship to Fitzpatrick, in 2002 Fitzpatrick pled guilty after being charged with four counts of attempted sexual battery for actions between 75 and 89. Yeah, like just what just as fuck? a footnote, they just protected a molester and a sex abuser. Ugh, fuck the Yaki's, man. Well, good news. Yaki died from leukemia in Boston on July 9th, 1976. His wife, Jean, the model and, you know, the, who he married after his first wife, weeks after, became president of the club following his death. The Yaki Foundation was established in 1976 through the bequest of his will. 
Yaki had been the sole owner of the Red Sox for 44 years, longer than any other owner in baseball history. In 1980, he was elected to the Hall of Fame. Because of course he was. Of course he was. Uh, at the time of his death, he, he was, owned the team for a long time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was vice president of the American League and other stuff. At the time of his death, he looked back. He was looked back on as a caring owner, one of the last to buy a team because of his pure love of the game, his philanthropy and willingness to play to pay mainly white players more than other teams when salaries were depressed. So when he died, everybody was giving him the greatest eulogy ever. In recent years, though, the focus has turned back to his racism and refusal to integrate the team. In 1977, the section of Jersey Street where Fenway Park is located was renamed Yaki Way in his honor. However, in August August 2017, Red Sox principal owner John W. Henry announced the team was seeking to change the name adding he was haunted by Yaki's legacy, which some have characterized as racist. <laughs> some. Yeah, that was the quote. Like, some have characterized it as racist. I don't like it. So, yeah. The change was approved by the city of Boston in April 2018, just last year, and the name w- was reverted back to Jersey Street in May 2018. A plaque honoring Yaki from his Red Sox employees that had hung in the administrative office entrance to Fenway since shortly after his death was removed in May 2018 as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. In Bill Nowlin's book, Tom Yockey, Patriarch of the Boston Red Sox, virtually all African-American players who eventually played for him, including Jim Rice, George Scott, and Reggie Smith, all spoke highly of him. The African Americans who eventually worked for him oh god, this is I oh the African Americans who worked for him on his South Carolina plantation all said nice things. I'm quoting somebody he right now. Owned a plantation? He owned yeah, he owned a large swath of land in South Carolina. That was like his, his winter retreat. Uh, he that's where Ted Williams would go to. Oh, okay. say, I'm quoting somebody right now. I'm let's say the African Americans who work for him at his plantation said nice things. Wow, um, his contributions to charity are obvious as well. And yet, it is sad to recall this history of the Red Sox. Mister Nellen concludes, and sad to think about what could have been had Tom Yaki taken actions that were readily available to him. Or just not been a dick. <laughs> yeah, imagine, imagine the 1950 Red Sox with Jackie Robinson and Ernie Banks. Yeah, like, just like what the fuck, man. Well, the, the, that's why there was a curse. There was no curse. <laughs> it was the Yaki curse. Yeah. Well, gee, like, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I yeah. guess all those World Series took part when he was owner. Yeah. Like that. That was, uh, yeah, that was not the '86 one. I mean, I knew that story was gonna be uh, bad. Yeah, that wasn't like a happy ending one. Well, he died. I mean, well, everybody dies, but uh, well, yeah, that was uh, that. It, it, I obviously because of the the, the street name that came. It, it it's been in the news more recently, like in the last year and stuff like that. But I didn't quite uh, fathom. You know, originally how I got into this story was I was looking at Pumpsy Green 
as the last player to integrate. Because I thought, oh, that'd be a cool subject, like the last player to integrate. Yeah. And I realized, like, you just... First of but all, Pumpsy really... Green had a, you know, he wasn't a star player. He had like a, a, a an interesting life, but certainly uh, not a cool Papa Bell kind of career. Yeah, and it and it's also not really necessarily like, as you said, the last player to integrate. Yeah. As you think about it more, it becomes more about the last team to integrate, and then. Well, exactly, and then I I just started looking into Yaki, and it's just just baffles my mind that like obviously he was like an ambivalent rich old white guy who grew up in pure privilege uh, and it's just I, I just love that quote it's just like he had the ability to make different decisions and he just didn't he just didn't because because of that terrible because of, like first of all not only the championships that they could have won had they integrated earlier or just being a better team yeah but it, you're like your legacy's gone, dude. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're not here anymore to see it. It probably doesn't matter to you, but I'm sure when you were alive, it ma- like it's just like I don't know. It's it's like fuck that guy because he was so racist. But it's just it just baffles like it baffles your mind to how how you could just refuse to employ a whole swath of people that could make your team. You're that dedicated to making your team better, but you can't get around your Racism, yeah, disregard for like a whole group of human beings. But anyway, wow, uh, yeah. So uh, I'm Sean, and I'm Eds. We were doing baseball. Check us out on Twitter at Doing Baseball. Uh, uh, at Bird Baby Birds. At Bird Baby well. Birds. And uh, see you next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.